find our passage, Genesis 16. In the previous chapters, 13, 14, and 15, Abraham has responded by faith to God's promises. He's acted as prophet, as priest, as king. But we return to chapter 16 to see Abraham's failure. The promise of a great nation of many descendants seems in doubt because Sarah still remains childless. Listen as I read Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar... Servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber Laharoi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had borne. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. I pray for those that come today in in sorrow and distress, that they would find you to be the God who hears, the God who sees. Lord, that in reading your word, we would be reminded of your great promises. Your promise is not only anticipated, but the promises you have fulfilled for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray today for for churches here in our community that are preaching this gospel message. We pray that the message of Jesus Christ, of your grace extended to us, would be heard by our neighbors, by our friends. Lord, heard by even those that are gathered here. We pray this morning for City Church of Wilmington, our sister church in, in the city that the gospel would be proclaimed through the ministry of Pastor Sika. We pray for Hope Church, a brand new church plan in Garnet Valley. We pray for Pastor Will, that he would have the boldness to preach your gospel message today. And Lord, I pray that we would hear your truth spoken to us this morning. As we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
Last November, as a community, you saw it in the news, we heard the story of a homeless man in Philadelphia helping a stranded motorist. Kate tells her story. She says, driving into Philly, I ran out of gas, and my heart was beating out of my chest. I pulled over as fast as I could, got out of the car to the head to the nearest gas station, and that's when I met Johnny. Johnny sits on the side of the road every day holding a sign. He saw me pull over and and knew something was wrong. He told me to get back in the car to lock the doors. A few minutes later, he comes back with a red gas can, using his last $20 to make sure I could get home safe. Kate and her boyfriend, Mark, share this story online with pictures of this good Samaritan along the side of the road. They start an online fundraising campaign that within a few weeks raised $400,000 for Johnny. A feel-good story of kindness and generosity. Except maybe you've seen the updates this week. A prosecutor in New Jersey has charged all three of them with deception and conspiracy to commit theft by deception. Allegedly, they concocted the whole thing. There was no late-night damsel in distress. There was no kind-hearted homeless man who spent his last dollars. Those of us who would consider giving to such a great cause, we were swindled. It was a lie. It was fraud. And the alleged scheme began to unravel this summer as Johnny filed a lawsuit against the couple because they were spending what he believed was his money. It's the kind of news update that ruins a great story. It sort of undermines our hope in the goodness of our neighbors. It reveals the darkness of human hearts. And I feel like that when we turn to Genesis 16. God has reiterated his promises to Abraham. There is such hope. Your son, the child that will be born to you by flesh, he will be the child of promise. Look out at the night sky. See the stars. Count them if you can. That's how big God's promises are. Then we get the update in Genesis 16 that threatens to destroy the whole thing. Sarai and Abram concoct a scheme. They're just helping God out after all. He's made the promise, but he doesn't seem able to keep it, so they'll keep the promise. After all, God's had a full decade to bring a child, and it's clear Sarai will not have a child. And so they use the maidservant Hagar to bring this promise to bear. But the whole thing unravels as they begin to turn on each other and even blame God for his failure. And, and you heard it as I read it, that this story real, really comes to us in two scenes. The scene with all three, Hagar in, being used by Sarai and Abram, and then the scene with her alone in the wilderness. The plan here for an heir we, we're reminded, even as we're introduced to Sarai, each time the narrator speaks about her, twice in this passage, when he's just, just telling us who she is, not what she's doing, just tells us who she is, reminds us in verses 1 and 3 that she is Abram's wife. 
Look at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife. Or verse 3, Sarai, his wife. We're, we're being reminded that God is the God of the promise. The promise was made to Abram and his wife, Sarai, that they would have a child. Well, now Sarai comes up with a plan, a plan that would have been well accepted by her neighbors, a plan in which in the ancient world a rich woman could use a surrogate spouse, could take a maidservant, a servant of hers, and the child who would be born through this union would be the mistresses. It would belong to Sarai. This was actually a, a practice that spread out over centuries and spread from, from Egypt up into, up into Babylon. It was, would have been common and accepted. This would have been an ordinary and reasonable plan. It's so reasonable that we see in verse 2, Abram agreed. But here we're being told that Abram's agreement is a failure. It's, it's, it's a little bit hard to, to see in our, in our translations, and so we have to rely on, on commentators who, to point this out to us. But, but when, we, when we read that phrase at the end of verse 3, that Abram agreed to what Sarai said, literally it's, it's Abram listened to the voice of his wife. He listened to the voice, and, and that would spark, if you were fluent in Hebrew, and I'm not, and you're probably not, we, that would spark us to turn back to chapter 3 to find another place where a man listens to a scheme concocted by his wife. In Genesis 3, Eve comes up with a plan that they would gain knowledge that God has kept from them. And in Genesis 3.17, when God is, is condemning Adam for his sin, he uses the exact same phrase, because you listened to your wife. All right, now don't, don't take that too far. All right, husbands, this is not a verse that you can go home and apply today. But when enticed to sin, these men who were meant to be the heirs of the promise, Abram, the first man in perfect relationship with God, Abram, the one called by God, instead of listening to the voice of the Lord, they listen to a sinful temptation and agree. Abram's sin, this is, this is his fall into sin, such that when, when things begin to unravel, even after Hagar has become pregnant but the relationships sour, when, when Sarai comes to him and says, this is, this is your fault, look at verse 6. Look at Abram's response. Your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. This is Abram's, as one commentator says, false neutrality. This is a false neutrality because at this point you can't say, I have nothing to do with it. We are well beyond that point. You have gone into the tent with Hagar. She has conceived a child. You can't shrug off responsibility, but you see this is just like Genesis 3. They're pointing the finger at God. We saw Sarah do it back in verse 2. The Lord has kept me from having children. We see them now pointing the finger at each other, shifting blame one to another. Now, now think about it. From a practical standpoint, the plan worked perfectly. What was the plan? Sarai would take Hagar, Hagar would become pregnant, and there would be a child for Abram. Practically, the plan has worked out to perfection. But relationally, it's destructive. 
And spiritually, it undermines the, their very trust and hope in the promise of God so that now they begin to blame one another. So they've done, though, what you and I are tempted to do when we have to wait. Just come up with a good plan. And if you had polled their neighbors, they would have all thought, this is a reasonable plan. I mean, look at Sarah. She's not getting any younger. It's unlikely there will be a child, so let's come up with a reasonable way for God to keep his promises. So you and I are tempted to do the same thing. When we hear God's clear commands, but then think, yeah, but that's just not really what God would want from me. Seriously, God wouldn't want sexual purity from me. Don't you know what's normal? Don't you know what kind of needs I have? Don't you know what's expected? And in comparison to, to those people, what I'm asking for is pretty small. I mean, God wouldn't want financial generosity from me. He wouldn't want me to, to give up everything for his sake, would you? Don't you know what it takes to keep up with the Joneses? God wouldn't want me to give my life in service of another. Don't you know what would happen if I don't look out for myself? Who would look out for me? See, we struggle to obey because we assume we know better than God. I mean, that's what sin is. Sin is looking at God and saying, that plan is terrible. I understand that you claim to have created everything. You have power to, to move mountains and to, to cast stars in the heavens. But I've thought about this for a few minutes now. And my plan is clearly way better than your plan because in my plan, I end up happy. In my plan, I get everything I want, and I get it right now. See, you and I hate to wait. But we also struggle to cling to the promises of God because we live in a world broken by sin. See, we can sympathize with Sarai, can't we? A woman who has been promised a child, who has waited not merely these 10 years, but decades, crying out and pleading before God. And you wonder, God, why don't you even hear what I'm saying? God, why don't you seem to care? To Abram and Sarai heard the promise, but they wonder, could that promise still be true? Maybe God forgot. Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe he doesn't care anymore. So they were only trying to come up with a way to help God out. In the end, this was going to let God keep his promise, even if he had forgotten about it. See, you and I may be, we may be on our knees struggling through tears for, for decades, praying for God to hear, for God to respond. We've lived lives filled with brokenness. We've been sinned against by others, and we wonder if God has abandoned us. But as you hear Genesis 16, I want you to hold on to the promises of God. While Abram and Sarai's plan brings trouble and destruction, God has not abandoned them. You'll have to wait all the way until the, the new year when we come back to Genesis to, to figure out where this is going. But I'm going I'm to give you a little sneak peek. In chapter 17, the promised child arrives. And don't you, don't you realize that's what you and I are, are waiting for? That's what this Advent season we'll be stepping into reminds us of, that God keeps his promises, that God has not forgotten us. Remember God's great love. Remember his sacrificial love 
for us. See, the conspiracy that started out to help God, it begins to unravel. We read in verse 6 that Sarai, in response to Hagar's position, and, and honestly, it's, it's not terribly clear, as the narrator tells us, how much Hagar is to be blamed here. It might simply be that the very fact that Sarai's plan worked fills Sarai with contempt for Hagar. And it's obvious that the narrator wants us to understand that Sarai has sinned. Look at the end of verse 6. When Abram throws up his hands and says, do whatever you want, then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So Hagar fled from her. See, Hagar is one who has been used in this scenario. A servant without choice. She's simply given by her mistress to the husband. The husband takes her. But she is not abandoned. Because look at verse 7. After she flees in verse 7, we read, The angel of the Lord found Hagar. God finds her. And in verse 8, the angel speaks, Hagar. Hagar. It's the first time her name has been spoken. See, the narrator has told us her name, but Sarai just calls her my servant or calls her she. Abram just says, do with her whatever you want. No one will even speak her name, but God does. Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she said. Then she's given a command in verse 9. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And it's important to, to stop here. This is not, just like that I already warned you, husbands, don't take that, you listen to your wives too seriously. This is not a general command to people in abusive situations. The command is not go back into the abuse. No, most of the time the instructions will be exactly the opposite of that. Find the protection that you can and we as a church will come alongside you. See, but this command, this specific command, and so if anyone, anyone less than an angel of the Lord stands in front of you, to say, go back, then you have a significant reason to doubt whether it's good advice. But this command, it comes with a promise, because God will protect her in this scenario. God will go with her, because the child she will bear is one who will, who will have numerous descendants. The command comes with the promise of God, that God will, in verse 10, increase the descendants of, of Hagar. The angel of the Lord, in verse 11, gives this promise. You are now with child, you will have a son, you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. That's what Ishmael means. God hears. The Lord hears. God has heard her cries, her prayers, her pleas. Now, it also comes with this warning that he will not be, in verse 12, the child of the promise. He will not inherit the land of the promise. He will be like a, a wild animal roaming free, having to fend for himself. 
But notice, notice how Hagar understands the response of God. Look at verse 13. Something happens here that happens nowhere else in the Bible. A human chooses a name for God. Nowhere else in Scripture. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Now that's a long name in English, shorter in Hebrew, Elroy. The God who sees me. See, if you are trapped in a situation where you feel broken, you feel used, you have not been abandoned, God hears and God sees. See, this, this is a promise to someone who is in a situation of, of brokenness. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. I have entered into relationship with God. Hagar understands. God is not ignoring your prayers. God has not stopped listening. God sees what is happening. But the fact that God sees is a warning to us. We read from Psalm 139 this morning that everywhere I go, Lord, you are there, which is a word of comfort to the penitent, the one who comes asking for forgiveness. But it should be a word of warning to those who in their own sin stand and shake their fists against God because God sees your sin. God sees the sin of Sarai. God sees the sin of Abram. He will not let their sinfulness stand. God is the God who responds. He's the God who hears us when we cry out. He's the God who sees us in our distress. And so today, for you who feel broken, this is a word of comfort. You may wipe the tears before you step out the door. You may clean yourself up so that no one else knows the brokenness, but God sees. In the middle of the night, when you awake in sorrow and sadness, God sees your tears. When you cry out for help and no one seems to listen, God hears. See, the God of Genesis 16 is a God who will not let the foolish plans of men stand, a God who will not tolerate sin, but a God who responds to the broken. Hagar, an abused maidservant on her way, perhaps wandering back to Egypt, who cares? What does she matter in the scheme of things? Why would anyone give her second thought? But God shows up. Hagar, where are you going? Hagar, I've heard your cries. And she responds, you are the God who sees me. And so maybe today you can cling to the promises spoken here. You may feel like you're barely hanging on. But you have the promise that God is the one who sees God is the God who sees our pain. God responds. See, in Genesis 16, we're still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. But even in our brokenness, we have proof that God will not let us go. He has not abandoned us. He stands with us. But we know God will keep his promise, not simply because you can turn to the next chapter. 
but because you can find the story of a greater promise. The story that we turn to as we, as we turn to the New Testament, we find the, the, the promise fulfilled, given to Abraham, that his son, his heir, would be the one who sits on a throne forever, that he would be the one through whom the blessings come to all nations, even to the Egyptians. And remember, remember who the Egyptians are. When Genesis was first written down by Moses, given to the Exodus community, Hagar is not a sympathetic character. She's an Egyptian? We don't like Egyptians. Think of how they have mistreated us. I, th I think she sort of just gets what she deserves in this passage, you might, you might think as you were reading it. But no, God's promise through Abraham extends even, even to Egyptians. Because God's promise comes to us through Jesus Christ, the Savior. We can think of Jesus' compassion as he meets another woman by a well in John chapter 4, a Samaritan, an outcast, and he responds with words of, of eternal life and gospel hope in the midst of her sin and brokenness. But more than that, we think of Jesus' love for us displayed in the cross, that Jesus is the Savior who gave his life for us. Genesis, Genesis 16 is calling us to trust in the promises of God, even the ones you haven't seen come true yet. In the midst of the sorrow and sadness and brokenness, to know that God hears and God sees. We know God keeps his promises. He's proven that. Not simply to Abram. He's proven that to us. He sent Jesus. Jesus who died. God raised him from the dead. He is a promise-keeping God. He sees us in our distress. See, when I hear a story of fraud, he raised $400,000 by basically figuring out what story you and I would click on online. They deceived us. And yet it actually kind of makes sense when you just think about it. I mean, which stories rise to the top? Who, who deserves to get that kind of help? Well, somebody that has a powerful story, so let's just concoct a powerful story. And, but when I, when, I, when I read that story of deception, I, I think to myself, I hope they get what they deserve. Man, I hope there's restitution. I hope there's, there's actual jail time involved for that kind of fraud. And maybe that's even now how I feel toward Abram and Sarai. I hope they get what they deserve until I realize I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you, for you to get what you deserve. A punishment from the God who sees your sin? No, you and I need much more than that. We need a God who keeps his promises even when we fail. A God who proves to us what love looks like, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. See, that's good news for sinners. God keeps his promises. That's good news for us. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord in heaven, I ask that you would apply this truth to our hearts and our lives. That we, seeing the brokenness of Abram and Sarai, 
would see in greater clarity the strength of your promises. Father in heaven, for those that, that today cry out to you through tears and sorrow and sadness, for those that come in this morning after a sleepless night of worry and fear and anxiety, Lord, I pray for your comfort and blessing upon them now. Lord, I ask that you would be the one who, who calms our troubled hearts, who wraps your arms around us to give us comfort and hope and peace. Lord, turn us from, from trusting in ourselves, from thinking that we know best to trust in you. Lord, give us the patience to persevere in prayer, trusting that you are the God who hears us. Lord, let us see with eyes of faith the promises you have made in your word. Let us cling to the hope of your gospel. And so, Lord, this morning we pray for those that sit here without faith, without faith in you, maybe faith in themselves or in some other way of living. Lord, I pray that they would turn from trusting in themselves and trust in you. For you are the God who hears us. You are the God who sees us. And so we come giving you praise in the name of Jesus, our Christ, our Savior. Amen.